All right, folks, welcome to Second City Sports Zoom style. Zoom style. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on a very uh, dark and uh, rainy and dreary day here in Chicago, I'm Lakina McGee. You can follow me at Kina McGee on Twitter, at Kina underscore McGee on the Insta. You can follow me, Sydney Brown, a.k.a. Sid the Kid, on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, that's at SidKid80, S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. Lakina, I was wrong a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Well, yes and no, but it looks like we'll have baseball back uh, as soon as July 24th or July 25th. Uh, we want to remind people that we'll have Russell Dorsey of MLB.com join us in the next few minutes here. We had him on the radio show back in January. He's going to hop back on with, uh, with us again to break down this deal that was um, sealed by Commissioner Rob, uh, Rob Manford, and he'll give us uh, more de details about it. Uh, I know spring training is supposed to start right around the 4th of July weekend, so that's about a yeah. couple, two, three weeks away in, in the team's own home stadiums. And we'll go on from there. And I, I don't know about you, Lakina. I want to be ex excited, but may, for me, I'll just speak for me only. I'll wait till opening day comes around. Obviously, it's going to be different this year because of, of the pandemic. But maybe for me, once we get down close to opening day, I'll be more, more excited. Right now, it's more like a relief that, uh, that the issue uh, for 2020 has been settled because we've been saying on this program for the last couple of months, you know, stop fighting in front of in front of the cameras, in front of social media, handing yourself behind closed doors. Let's get a deal done. Looks like we're gonna have baseball for at least twenty twenty for sixty games. Yeah, interesting because it had to come to this because the mm -hmm. players decided to reject the last offer that the owners had provided. So Rob Manford took his executive power to implement a sixteen game sixty game season which he was He's able to, you know, he's a commissioner, so he's legally able to do that. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to do this because, unfortunately, Florida's becoming one of the hot spots. Cases are on the rise. Cases are actually on the rise in about, like, more than half the states. Well, not, not here in Illinois, thankfully. We know we're in phase four now, thank goodness. But uh, in Florida, I mean, how are they going to do this? Because the field, some Phillies players have tested and some team personnel have tested positive. I know, like, a couple other teams, they've had some people – among there, among themselves, have tested positive. So I wonder how they're going to do this because they're already those that are calling for you know, listen, let's let's just cancel sports altogether because that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen because, like we've been saying, money is the root of all of this. Mm -hmm. And although Morehouse College did say they're going to cancel fall sports, so I don't think they're going to you know listen. Then some of the historically black colleges are, are on in the hole, unfortunately, anyway. So again, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you know, back to baseball. It's going to be very interesting because the Cubs and Warriors are going to be playing each other like six times. They're going to be in the same division. The Dodgers and the Angels are probably going to be playing each other like about six times. So are the Yankees and Mets. So this is going to be very interesting because you can't afford to have a bad start because if you do, you can just forget about it because 60 games is a sprint. At least with 162, you can kind of like pace yourselves. If you have a bad streak, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But now you're not going to be able to. So it's going to be very interesting, Sid. Yeah, with the 60-game schedule, 40 out of the 60 games are within your division, so you won't have to travel as much to try to cut down the risk of catching the coronavirus. Like you said, like in the other 20, is, it's interleague play, so that's still fun, which I still enjoy. But the one thing that kept going off in my head these last few days, 
is that we know in spring training, it doesn't take much for the hitters to get themselves ready. They just need a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and they're ready to go. Or worry about the starting pitcher in particular because they usually have three to four starts in a normal spring training setting mm -hmm. to get themselves ready to go for a long regular season. I think what we're going to see is for the first two, per, perhaps three weeks of the season, you're going to see high-scoring games like you did in the mid to late 90s during the quote-unquote steroid era in the early 2000s. I think we're going to have some uh, out, out, out offensive out, output, especially with a young team like the White Sox, with a team like the Astros, who we'll talk about more deeply later. But those young offensive um, lineups with all that talent, if they can take advantage of it, those, look for those kinds of teams to get off the hot starts in terms of records, in terms of scoring runs. Yeah, I mean, like, how are the pitchers going to feel? I mean, they haven't been able to pitch, and I'm sure some have practiced, but are they going to be able to kind of, like, go through a 60-game 60 60 game season? I don't know. And then injuries, you know, we'll see if, you know, how – because we, we saw Anthony Rizzo, he lost some weight. I know a couple of other guys. I think I saw, like, Andrew McCutcheon, plays for Phillies, and lost some weight. So, like, we'll just see how everybody, you know, everyone's physical conditioning is or everyone's stamina is going to be because – you're not going to have a lot of days off. So these 60 games are going to go by like that. And like I've been saying, you can't afford to have a, have a slow start. You can just forget about that. So like I said, this is going to be where it gets very interesting because I, I wonder how our team is going to react to all of this because they've you know, put it out there that there's some teams that have put it out there that maybe they'll be able to kind of, that maybe some stadiums that I, think, I know really feel, you know, Crane Candy said yesterday that they may be able to get some, fans into Wrigley Field of course they got to recruit some of the money that they lost and I don't mm -hmm. know how is it going to be that way with some of the others so we'll see also too let's not forget the factor of injuries because this has been a long layoff ever since March 12th March 13th uh, you were headed down the home stretch of spring training because the original start date for opening day was March 27th of course we all know what happened then so it's been a, a long three to four months for the baseball players and you have to incorporate all uh, all the factors off the field. Most most of the players could not train on their own. Yeah, they can get their regular exercise and running and jogging and things along that line. And if you had uh, batting cages in your home, which probably most athletes uh, don't, you know, you weren't going to, you couldn't get your work in as far as baseball wise. So uh, the, the spring training is going to be important here these next couple of weeks. Like you said, Lakina, who's in shape, who's not in shape? Forget about the baseball part of it, but who, who's in shape, who's not in shape, and how long is it going to take the guys who are not in shape to get in shape to play baseball? Also, with the, the condensed schedule, who will, who, which team will have the advantage? Will it be, I mean, you know, the favorites are, of course, they're the Yankees and the, uh, the, the Dodgers. That's the latest of Bavada odds. I've heard some people say maybe the Rays, this could, since they're still a young team, that then, you know, they may be able to take advantage of that schedule too. Toronto, unfortunately, though, they've had some issues with the COVID and everything. So this is sort of when, okay, who's going to be ready and whose teams are going to be are going to be caught unprepared. So, and of course, you got to get all these, some of these guys back with the travel restrictions. So you wonder mm -hmm. how, you know, how everyone else is going to respond. So this is going to be, like I said, I mean, I think this, this could actually be a benefit to, to, the, to the major league baseball to MLB because you know, people are going to be watching to see, you know, like everything we've mentioned. So hopefully we'll, once Russell joins us in a little bit, we'll help have some answers or maybe even some predictions. I'm glad you brought up the Toronto Blue Jays because I don't know what the uh, restrictions are exactly for Canada, but 
I know the, the Toronto Blue Jays, as of right now, as of this recording, that they cannot play their games at, I don't know what the name of the stadium is, but formerly known as Sky Dome. So where they're going to play, they still can't play at their own home stadium. So that's another issue. Hopefully MLB, if they didn't solve it by now, they, they better resolve it quickly because they don't have a home. And, and like you said earlier, Lakin, about the rises in COVID-19 cases, we, we are looking at it right now in Florida. We'll talk about that later with the NBA. You've seen it to a certain extent in Texas. You know, the Texas Rangers had their new ballpark opening up uh, this season. You've seen it, a spike in Arizona. So uh, hopefully the train will start to go down. You'll start to allow some fans in. But at least for the start, you, I, you're not going to see any fans. Uh, you mentioned earlier, looking at what that interview with Crane Kenny. I heard that interview this past Thursday. So uh, I know he said he was optimistic they can get some fans in there. I know uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker said that he wants some fans in there, obviously at 20 to 30% capacity. But if you're Major League Baseball, let's just say Chicago, both teams, Sox and Cubs, you have some fans in there, but other cities because of the rise in the, in the cases of, because of the virus, they don't have fans in there. Uh, that, that builds for the unfair advantage. And MLB has to be unified and they had to work with local officials to say if these cities can have fans, the other cities, assuming that the cases go down, they can have fans as well. Because if you have a couple places that have fans and the rest of the teams in MLB don't have any fans, that sets up an unfair advantage. Also, New York, too, is going to be very interesting there because they kind of, you know, they were sort of the epicenter of all this. But now they've been able to not only flatten the curve, but they it's actually dipped. So... But I think, mm -hmm. but I don't know if they'll be able to, you know, New Yankee Stadium and City Field where the Mets play. I don't know. They'll, I don't know if Mayor de Blasio will be, will be able to invite some of the fans in. I don't know what the situation is in New York, but it's going to be interesting how, how teams adjust to that because you're going to be in some, in some stadiums, you are going to be seeing people with a little, with a few fan bases, with a few fans, but then you have others that probably won't be able to have fans at all. So to be interested to see, or maybe if they do going to do what the NBA does, you know, have like a hub thing, but you know, Arizona, like I said, Arizona's become another one of those hot spots. So that's going to be very interesting to see how teams adjust to all of that. Yeah. Remember we re we reported back in April that the MLB wanted to do sort of like what the NBA is doing right now with these uh, hub cities. They wanted to try it in Arizona and Florida and people had a, a big backlash, including yours truly on this show. And look what's happening now. We didn't know at the time, but look, look what's happening now. Uh, the, the cases in those two states are hot spots again because those states opened up early. Now, hopefully they'll flatten the curve at some point, but let's just say the MLB would have stuck with that uh, plane they threw out there in early April. It would have been disastrous. We would definitely would not be talking about a deal right now playing 60 games this year. Yeah, it'll be like I said, it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do and what happens because this is going to be kind of like what – sort of breaks that mold. I mean, you know, will there be this offensive explosion or will it be like a pitcher's thing where we won't see a lot of scoring? So this is going to be very interesting to see what it, what they do here because, like I said, I mean, 60 games is not a lot. You can't afford to have a slow start. So this is going to be the time where what are they going to do? What are these teams, you know, there's going to be some adjustments, um, you know, and also to see like who this favors because you got guys who have contracts coming up, you know, Chris Bryant, for the, most notably for the Cubs, 
We'll Mookie Betts of the Dodgers. Too. Yep, he'll finally be able to play for the Dodgers now. So, because there were some people that say, well, maybe if they cancel the season, we'll be able to. That Dodgers uh, trade is null and void, but that's not going to happen. And, um, you know, we'll finally be able to see what the White Sox, who the White Sox are going to be this year. So, this is going to get very interesting to see what, especially in these sort of uncertain times and then this type of scheduling, who this really benefits. Yeah, you could benefit a good young team like you mentioned, looking like the White Sox with Elo Jimenez, Tim Anderson, and you have started pitching coming back with hopefully Michael Kopech and Carlos Rodon, who was supposed to return in July or early August. So on paper, they're stacked, but can they get a hot streak together, especially with all that talent up and down the line? Don't forget Edwin Encarnacion, the veteran who was picked up in this offseason, Yasmani Grandal, the, uh, the new catcher for the White Sox. So if these guys can come together quickly and score some ones offensively, uh, it could be a good uh, year for the folks on the south side. We, should, we shall see about that. Also, look at the Atlanta Braves. Yes, they got embarrassed in game five last year uh, in the deciding game in the division series against St. Louis, but that's a good young team on the come up. So you had to look at those teams. Now with your favorite teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees, to a lesser extent the Chicago Cubs, uh, uh, in a shortened window season, you have to worry about teams in your own division in case of the Cubs. Milwaukee, Cincinnati, who was, was suspected to take another step this year. If they get off to a hot start, they may not let go. So you have to worry about teams in your division that's on the cusp. If you're the Dodgers, not saying Colorado, but maybe San Francisco. We called them the AARP team last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mediocre teams can catch fire. So maybe Arizona will be that team to catch fire. If you're the White Sox in your division, uh, I'm not saying that Detroit is going to do anything, but Kansas City, they think they're on the next step, not up as at the White Sox. Minnesota. Minnesota is probably another team that that can probably, you know, I know some people say that they could take a step back, but we'll see if Minnesota, Minnesota could be another team. Cleveland, this is sort of like their last stand because, you know, I, you know, because you know, they got to, they got to dump payroll. So it'll be very interesting to see if any of those teams can kind of challenge the White Sox. Yeah. So uh, like I was saying before, like, like I was saying before, if you're one of those favorite teams, if you get off to a bad start and those young teams, our, our mediocre teams are about to catch fire. If you don't catch up, uh, the season's going to be uh, over for you and just like that. So uh, if you want those teams that are favorite, uh, you have to get off to a good start. Yeah, and also Toronto too. Like I said, the young, nice young team that they might they take a catch step. catch fire this, as well. That, that may take a, they may take a step this year. I mean, we'll see what the Mets do. I mean, look, maybe the, Mar- maybe the Mariners. I mean, who knows? But like I said, mm-hmm. we could be seeing teams that, you know, come out of nowhere and perhaps maybe, you know, do this because it'll be very interesting. Just like I said, I mean, this is sort of like a totally unprecedented. So we may, there might be some weird things that happen this season. Yeah, if you're baseball, uh, you don't want that. Uh, you, you want your big market teams to be on the forefront and on center stage. That's what sells the sport, as we mentioned with the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. But like you said, like, you know, with all, all the other sports, which we'll get to in our in next segment, uh, you need your big market teams to sell. But like you said, on, in these unprecedented times, you know, we can, especially with this shortened schedule, we can see, like you said, a team like Seattle or Cincinnati maybe win the whole thing and not just shock some people and knock some big teams out of a playoff contention. So you have to watch out uh, right there. One thing I want to bring up quickly before Russell joins us, that uh, a new rule, one of the new rules this year, the universal DH in both leagues. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about the relief pitchers. When a relief pitcher comes in, they have to face the minimum of three batters. Do you think this will work in the long term? 
I guess I, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? We'll see how it does this year because if it ends up being, in, you know, there might be that will lead to more scoring. You know, if the, if it does lead to that, then maybe this will be a new thing. But if if not, it turns to be a total dud. I don't see them using it again. I know they've been, I know people have been wanting to use that particular rule for some time now. But I think it's all it's all going to depend on how how it plays out. Yeah, I think the reason why they put this in is trying to speed up the game along because we all know that historically baseball is slow to change. So hopefully this will work. Me personally, I like the rule because um, you have a lefty uh, reliever coming in to strike out left-handed bands, and they come out, and then yep. you have other pitchers coming in, and it serves the flow of the game. And trust me, I like baseball. I really do, but – you know, and teams wonder why their bullpens are spent just like that because you have too many specialists up and, and it drags the game along. Then, heaven forbid, you go to the extra ends and deeper to extra ends, you run out of pitchers. So I think this could be a good thing. We'll see which teams manage, manage the situation the best. Well, and you know what? Well, and like I said, also the extra inning rule, I mean, I don't want it to be like a 12, 15 inning. You're not going to have time for that. So this is when it's going to get very interesting to see as we are joined by a good friend of the show, Mr. Russell Dorsey, baseball extraordinaire. And, you know, probably one of the smartest baseball people you'll, you'll follow <laughs> and, you know, Stop and <laughs> oh, no, this is so totally unsolicited here. But so Russell, again, thanks for joining us again. This, this, we had so much fun last time. Right. I appreciate you guys having me on. Lakina, it is good to see you. Sydney, it's good to see you. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, likewise, Russell. Uh, we, we were talking before you, before you joined us um, about the six – we'll break down the, the, the details of the 60-game deal in just a moment. But what was your initial thoughts about um, the baseball finally – having a deal in place after fighting each other in front of the media like five-year-old kids so over the last few weeks. So what was your initial thoughts? Well, first, I want to apologize for not being able to jump on with you guys at noon. Like I said, had a call come up at the last second. So I, I really apologize about that. That's to okay. Stop it. It, it happens. You're a busy guy. You're a busy guy now, so it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. To the baseball portion, I was, to be honest, disappointed in baseball in the fact that with everything going on in our country right now, with everything happening with the sport itself, that baseball couldn't come to an agreement, right? And it's really frustrating when you look and you say, man, like we could have, baseball could have had something really amazing. They could have had the market share of the audience with no other sports on. Um, they could have come to an agreement when they came up with that uh, March 26th agreement, when they, they agreed to full prorated salaries. All that being said, we've had nearly three months of arguing and fighting that ended last week or over the weekend with the agreement to have baseball. So I'm happy it's back. At the same time, I'm cautiously optimistic seeing that we have spikes all over this country with coronavirus. And we, we just saw Texas today have some rollbacks uh, with the spikes that have gone on in that state. So I am not sure if we see a completed season. At this point, you know, at the same time, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm hopeful that we can get through this and people can be as safe as possible. And us in the media, we can be as safe as possible, but I'm just not sure where the season goes. I wanted to ask you, Russ, about uh, the labor disputes. We all know that it comes down to money at the end of the day. But do you think that the issues that the players and the owners were fighting about, because we all know 
that the collective bargaining agreement that they're working on the now runs out after next year. Do you think that this, this is a setup for uh, next year? It could be some trouble down the road, try to get a new CBA deal done. I think so. I think in addition to the agreement to come back in the middle of a pandemic, there was also these quasi CBA negotiations going on. And I think that's why it was tougher for baseball than any other sport to have a dialogue, let alone try to come back. Because it's like, I'm talking about money and I'm talking about, you know, percentage and revenue sharing and all these things, as well as what's our coronavirus protocol. And while that should have been at the forefront, and those things were the last things agreed upon, the money was out first and foremost. And for your fan base, so many people have lost jobs, right? And you also have a group of, of fans that don't care about your 100% pro rata and all these other things. Like, they just want baseball. And on one hand, I understand completely with the players because you guys wouldn't want to do your job without being properly compensated. I wouldn't do mine either. Mm-hmm. So from that aspect, I completely understand. And when the CBA is up in two years, the players should 100% stand for what they they value that. Well, you but, just asked oh, – oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, but this this wasn't the time for that. Yeah, I mean, you actually just answered my first question to you earlier when you said that you don't know if they're going to be able to finish the season because – We've seen the Blue Jays, some of their players and personnel tested positive. So the Phillies, right. you know, like you said, Texas and Florida have had to roll back stuff. Arizona, Arizona's become a new hotspot. I mean, they got some some arenas, some stadiums where they're probably going to have going to go full on and have like some fans, but then you have other stadiums that might be able, not be able to accommodate fans. So do you think we'll be able to see any kind of thing? I would I'm super anti fans right now when it comes to bringing them back into the ballpark. There's already a lot of hands that are involved in a day-to-day basis of, of a baseball game, right? You have two teams and then you'll have more players in the clubhouse this year with with 30 at the onset, then 28 and then 2 weeks later 26, but you'll ask, also have taxi squad players that'll be around. Then you'll have, you know, execs, medical and training, groundskeepers, media, not to the extent that we had in the past, because I don't think we're going to be even close enough to access players like we did once before. But there's a lot of people still involved in that. And then there's you don't have a bubble like the NBA where I can know for sure you haven't been near anybody that's not here. I haven't been near anybody who's not here. The chefs have all been here. Nobody's leaving and coming back. So you're go- it's going to take some doing. And you have teams, like there's two teams in the state of Florida, right? You have the Marlins, you have the Tampa Bay Rays that are in Florida, hotspot. You have the Rangers and, and, and the Houston Astros in Texas, hotspot. You have the Arizona, the Arizona Diamondbacks, hotspot. And we're blessed and fortunate to have our numbers decline here in Chicago. At the same time, you know, that could change. You know, we we've opened faster than – any other state because we've met all our guidelines and numbers are decreasing and hospitalizations and ventilation, people on ventilators has decreased dramatically, which is amazing. And it shows that we've taken this thing serious, but there's, there's 49 other states besides the state of Illinois, right? And so when it comes to travel, when it comes to uh, people coming into our state from other places, like we, we really should be cautious. And I, 
my life is sports. Y'all life is sports. And like, I would love to have sports back, but it's felt a little bit rushed. You know, I don't think we've gotten ahead of this thing enough where I necessarily feel comfortable having all the sports back. Like at the end of the day, yes, I love sports and it's my career is how I make money and make a living. At the same time, I want Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and Jose Abreu and Chris Bryant, Zach Levine. I want those guys to be just as safe as I want to be. You know what I'm saying? Like as a human being, I don't want those guys to have to put their life on the line. Like, and I know people say, well, they're athletes in their prime. They probably won't get as affected. Love how you have them out. We don't, I don't think we really know how bad this coronavirus, like, affects the human body. Like, we've seen it with the severe symptoms and cases, like, what it does to the lungs. Um, but even in people who are asymptomatic, like, we don't know the long-term effects. And so for uh, an athlete in their prime, we don't, we just don't know where this thing could go. So I understand players want to take every precaution. Uh, before they get back out there on the field or court or wherever. Russell Dorsey of MLB.com baseball writer joins us right here on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Okina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Russell, here's a couple of new rules that are, are in place for this year that may be in place for good. Uh, the universal DH in both the National and American leagues, and we have the uh, three batters rule for relief pitchers uh, coming into the game. Uh, give us your opinion on first the universal DH rule, designated hitter rule, both in the National and American leagues. I think it'll be good. Uh, I think people would argue that, yo, you have Madison Bumgarner, he can hit, and Zach Greinke can hit. That's two guys out of the hundreds of pitchers that take at bats uh, over the course of a major league season. Even then, Madison Bumgarner was, you know, hitting 156. While sure, that's good for a pitcher, and he hits the ball of ballpark. That's not good. And I'd much rather have a professional at bat with a guy hitting 250, 260, 270, you know, in that, in that designated hitter spot. I think it will provide a little bit more strategy. I know people are like, well, there'll be less strategy. You won't have double switches and all that. I do think it'll be more strategy for teams like the Chicago Cubs who have a surplus of offensive bats, you know, and, and guys who, who really know how to swing it. It'll be interesting for them. Maybe you can give Anthony Rizzo a day off without having to take his bat out of the lineup. I think that's huge for a team like the Cubs. Or you can put Chris Bryant, you know, as your DH and and let, you know, David Bodie get some at-bats at third base. Like, there's a lot you can do with it, strategy-wise, lineup-wise. And I think there's a lot of teams that will, will benefit. And even from the aspect of the trade deadline, like you, there's there's 15 teams now that could be looking for a DH, and so guys who would normally be DHs or first baseman every fifth day, those type of guys now have a, a market outside of the American League. And if this thing can, like, if it goes well, and they just say, all right, we're gonna have the universal DH in 21, and then ultimately put it in the CBA in 20, uh, you know, at the end of 21. Like, this season could be pivotal in, in terms of that trade market. You know, I think I would make moves with the idea that this guy is probably going to be our DH next year. Yeah, so it, it, it's interesting because, you know, Zid and I were just talking a few minutes ago about this condensed scheduling, assuming that every we all it's all finished, we finish it up and such. Which teams do it benefit? Do it, will it benefit the younger teams like Tampa and Toronto? Will it benefit the favorites like the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Cubs? 
So who do you who do you think what teams do you think will benefit from this condensed scheduling? Uh, I'd like to say, well, I think you can look at it both ways and say there's advantages to both. I think a team like the White Sox that are young and up and coming uh, have a good shot because you know they can pin their ears back and over a 60 game schedule just go all out. They don't have to worry about burning out. They don't have to worry about a July August you know slow stretch the dog days of summer none of that so they can go all out and as young guys a young club they have the energy to do that a team like the cubs though i do think will benefit or a team like the dodgers teams that have been there before and have veterans on them uh on those clubs where normally june july you guys got you have guys banged up you have guys uh with during that dead arm period you have guys who who have slow starts after you know the first half you don't have to worry about that you know, there's there's a lot of older guys who have gotten a lot of rest and don't have to worry about, you know, maybe having a DL stint in July or August now. They're going to have to go, you know, 60 games in 66 days. Everything's there for you, and, and you can go and you can do your thing. At the same time, I, I do think, you know, those teams – I do think they have a little bit more of an advantage than than one of those younger teams because – mentally they, I think those teams can take themselves to a, a place where it's just like, all right, we, we, it, everything's in front of us. There are no, un, there are very few unknowns besides coronavirus, but baseball at, from the baseball aspect, everything's there. And it's just now, all right, can we get to 30 wins? Can we get to 35 wins? Can we try to push for 40 wins? Because that seems 35 seems like the number or the magic number that you need to get to. Speaking of one of the favorite teams, uh, Russ, coming into the season, it's the Chicago Cubs. Now, many people have said that they're on that quote-unquote last legs. Of course, you have David Ross, a former Cub, now the manager of the team. This is a season of crossroads for them. How do you think they'll approach this season? Do you think they'll approach this, approach this season with a winning mindset of let's keep this core together, let's keep this winning going? Or do you think this will be a season of change? And a bit, if you're a Cubs fan, they'll get up to a bad start. Do you think they'll try to trade everybody off at the trade deadline or wait till the all season to do that? I don't think, well, one, with the, with the you know, the Cubs have been a, a team that have had to have fast starts, right? Over the last couple of years, it's always been, oh, they got off to this bad start. Now they got up to fight back and they have to do all these other things. You don't have to do that now, right? You can have, you have the 60 games right there in front of you. And I think it's important for a team like the Cubs where, yeah, you don't, you don't know what the future holds beyond 2021. Like Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber, all these guys, they have not signed contract extensions. So it's, it's important, even in this shortened season, to have some signs of life. Even if you don't win the whole thing this year, you should be able to come back next spring training and say, all right, if this is our last go-around with this group, do we have enough to keep going or should we start looking towards the future and maybe trading a guy like Chris Bryant, even though that's not what nobody, anybody wants to do. That might be what you have to look at if, if the season doesn't go like you plan it for to. Let's talk about the South side then, because I know Sid or a good friend, Alyssa Bergamini, who does, who covers the White Sox there. I know the fans are actually now excited because you know, we finally be able to look forward to seeing, you know, guys like Eloy and Mankata and all the mothers. How do you, do you think they can benefit from this condensed scheduling? Yeah, I, I think a guy like uh, Eloy Jimenez will benefit greatly from it because I think now, 
You don't have to worry about, you know, he, he had some issues with staying healthy last year. 60 games, if he can get through that, like, you'll be, you'll be in really good shape. You get to see Luis Robert for the first time. I think everybody, whether you're a Sox or a Cubs fan or just a fan of baseball, I think you're really excited to see what that dude can do in the big leagues. Uh, Tim Anderson, confidence at all-time high. And this guy who won a batting title last year now has a year of experience, Lucas Giolito. There's a lot to love on the south side of Chicago. And the Sox should really benefit from this condensed schedule. Like, they have starting pitching depth, which I think is invaluable, especially this year. In general, yes. But in a, a, a year where you're going to have to have some openers, you're going to have to have some tandem starts where you have a guy like Michael Kopech pitch three or four innings, then have somebody else come behind them for another three or four. I think that's something that they really are going to have to do to to make a difference and they're gonna have 20 games against the national league central right and so the Sox before even when it was going to be a 162 game season they were going to have to they were going to be looked at as one of potential contenders in the american league now i think they're still viewed as that maybe even more so and you know, you want to be one of the big boys in, in Major League Baseball, you're going to get your opportunity. You're going to have to play your 40 games against your division in the American League Central. But also, you're going to have to play the Cincinnati Reds, who look like another sleeping contender in the National League Central. You're going to have to play the Cubs, you know, who, regardless of all their issues over the last couple of years, are, are still have one of the best rosters in, in Major League Baseball. You're going to have to play the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, who are always a tough competitor right there for a National League Central title and the Cardinals, who won the National League Central last year. So you're gonna, you, know, you want to be a contender, you're going to have to beat contender. And so that's 20 games, which is in this, you know, that's a big portion of the season this year. 20 games is going to be, that's going to be a big tell for the White Sox what they can do against the National League Central. I want to ask you, Russ, before we move on to our next subject, uh, me and Lakina talked about before you hopped on with us is that I think for the, for the first two to three weeks of the season, uh, you're going to see, uh, uh, I predict you're going to see an offensive explosion in terms of run score because it's going to be a, a condensed spring training. We all know that hitters take two to three weeks in the, to get going. They're usually ready to go. Starting pitchers in particular usually have to have about three to four starts before they get to, uh, before they uh, settle down. I think we're going to see an offensive explosion for the first couple of weeks of the season. What are your thoughts about that? I think offensively, yeah, I do think we're going to see uh, some big numbers put up. I, I'm, that's one of the, my concerns with baseball this year is, like, what quality of baseball are we going to see? Because personally, I don't think we're going to see high-quality baseball, especially at that first couple of weeks. I think we're going to see some high ERAs. And because of the condensed season, some guys are going to finish the season with, like, a six or seven ERA just because – you don't have enough innings pitched to to bring that down to the mid threes or, or low fours where you would normally be at. So I don't think we're going to see great pitching right out the gate, you know, especially with guys only going two and three innings. Um, I think some hitters could struggle. And, you know, at, it's, it's, it's weird because in a normal season, you can have a bad month and still have an amazing year. You know, mm -hmm. 315, 380 on base you know, 850, 900 OPS. But one bad month this, in, in this season, that's half the year. So you know, you're going to have to have a really hot second half, quote-unquote, second half uh -huh. of the last 30 games <laughs> um, 
to 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 make that bounce back. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see the quality of baseball that we get in 2020. Russell Dorsey of MLB.com joined us here on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee. I'm Sydney Brown. Russ, let's transition over to uh, what's been happening outside the sports world, of course, with the murder of George Floyd on May 25th. We've been seeing a lot of uh, protests of, of professional athletes from all walks of life, uh, black athletes participating in protests, but a lot of white athletes participating in protests as well. I want to get your thoughts on. Do you think this will be a moment in time, or do you think we're starting to see early steps towards real change in our society? You guys know, you know, as as, as African Americans, as Black people, we've okay. seen this for the longest, right? We've seen mm-hmm. demonstrations, we've oh, yeah. seen movements, we've seen, we saw Dr. King, we saw Malcolm X, we saw, uh, you know, the Panthers, you know, we saw Angela Davis. We've seen it all, man, and people are slow, man. Change doesn't happen as quickly as Twitter would like you to believe, you know, and we've seen that firsthand. And and while I am so excited with the support that I, we've seen from our white brothers and sisters, our Latin, Latinx uh, or Latino brothers and sisters, um, our Asian brothers and sisters, Native American brothers and sisters, I'm that, 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 that ha- that's helped my heart during this last month or so, because there are times, man, where you're just like, I, I can't, it's hard to get up. You're just like, we gotta, you go on Twitter, man, it's nasty and the world's an ugly place. Like my good friend, Josh Tolentino, uh, yesterday, somebody called him Kung Flu in the store, right? This is a proud Philippine, uh, uh, second generation Filipino American dude has worked his way in our business and is, is one of the stars in our, in, in the sports media landscape covering the Tampa Bay Rays for the athletic. And somebody said something so just racist and, and, uh, and a, uh, anti-Asian xenophobia and, and all these just things that you just like do, how are people like this? And, uh, you know, those things are still happening. 2020 and uh it's hard to to watch that it's hard to see that and think man stuff's really turning around i will say like i am confident with with how people have not people don't want to stop the fight you know people don't want to just stop because all right it's been a month you know the people the the officers who killed brianna taylor are still out there man you got to keep fighting until those those guys are brought to justice. Um, but yeah, I, I just think with as far as the athletes are concerned, I'm glad athletes are using their platforms because I think athletes and people in general start are have realized through all this saying that Black Lives Matter or saying that police brutality against African Americans is wrong is not a political statement. You know, caring for people as human beings is not political. You know. Mm-hmm. You should just have care and empathy for people like you would want people to have care and empathy for you. And uh, it sounds simple, you know, and it really, it, it should be, but we, we all know it's not. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that this movement continues, um, but I'm slightly uh, jaded in the fact that, you know, we've seen the, this movie before. 
And while it feels a little different because it seems like there's a lot of momentum and, and momentum that doesn't seem like it's going to leave, you know, people are fickle. And like, and after a couple months, after things not trending on Twitter, Twitter any, anymore, are you still going to help communities? Are you still going to go clean things up? Are you still going to go uh, donate to food pantries and, and, and initiatives, you know, to make sure these things don't continue to happen? also voting too absolutely you know, there, was, there was this big absolutely. registration jump in voting and i want to see these young people have this energy and take it to the polls yeah because if you want real real change we've been saying it the last couple of weeks if you want real change voting is a start especially at the local level and and for us like we know that you know black people haven't had the my grandparents didn't have the opportunity to vote until they were like in their 50s you know uh through the voting act of 65. Yeah. Yep. 65, yeah. Uh, I just had to make sure my history was right. <laughs> I, I feel bad. Yeah, um, you got it. It's right. You got it right. <laughs> and for me, like, I'm 25, y'all. So I under, and but I, I, I know history really well. Like, I know that about my grandparents. Like, my grandparents were sharecroppers, right? And came up here in the Great Migration. Just so they, their, their kids had a better life. Like, my grandfather was a custodian at the Museum of Science and Industry. Right. And during the, the the what Chicago blizzard was it where like people still talk about it to this day? Sixty seven. Oh, eighty four. Sixty seven. Yeah. 67, yeah. Or, or the eighty one. Uh, well, what's the one in the eighties? Uh, it was eighty one. Yeah, it was, 81. It was, it was right 81. before. It was right yeah, before we were born. Like, yeah. 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 My uh, my dad told me that my grandfather got up at like three a.m. And he shoveled the the steps of the Museum of Science and Industry, right? And his son was an educator in Chicago public schools for 35 years. And I get to do what I do. You know what I'm saying? So it's not lost on me the where I come from and the privilege that I have to not only do what I do, but be able to voice my opinion on who our leaders in our community are. Because I know my grandfather and my grandmother, they didn't get that especially when they were living in Mississippi, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. where life was hard, where you never knew where you could go. You looked at somebody wrong. Like, oh, yeah. I understand how important that is. And I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm really excited about is how my generation and the generations other than me with like the Gen Z kids, like we're not playing with people, right? We're just like, <laughs> yo, this is not cool. And we gonna let y'all know we're going to hashtag stuff. We're going to throw everything on your timeline. So you, you don't get to forget Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd. You're not going to get to just turn it off because it's sad. Yeah, sad. You think we're not sad? Like, we're sad and we're tired of seeing this. But we know that we have an obligation as, as human beings to make this thing right. And we're going to use our voices to do that. And it's always been younger generations that, like, look at, if you follow history, the people that march with Dr. King. Tons of young people, yeah. high school kids, right. uh, college students. If you look at uh, the women's rights movement, women in their in their twenties and, and early thirties. If you look at Kent State and, and the people who protested the Vietnam War, those were kids, man, kids, college students. So it's always been, and that's not saying we don't need our older generations because that's where you learn from, that's where you get guidance from, that's where things get passed down so each generation can be better and better. Like we need my parents who are 
the the boomers of the world who might not have that 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 energy that they had back in the day but still have care for making things a better place for their grandchildren for my kids you know and so somebody does have to take that baton and run with it after a while and then one day i'm gonna have to take that baton and pass it to my kids generation you know and say look i can't be out on the front lines like i used to or even if i am like you have to be the voice now because there comes a voice where people aren't going to listen to me and that seems crazy and that seems like a million years away <laughs> but it's going to happen like it always does and and somebody younger voices have to speak out and and be the lead you know for a lot of these situations and i'm and i'm proud of of my generation and the younger ones that like were really coming together and unifying for the greater good one more question Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Reset. No, no, I was going to say before we go, uh, yeah. what do you think baseball has to do to be more, to get more African-Americans to kind of play? We saw Ed Howard going to the Cubs and, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, even though he was injured last year as a big star. It seems like the African-American participating in baseball is decreasing. Do you think this, you know, seeing, you know, McCutcheon and Ed Howard, you know, hopefully he succeeds at the big level. Do you think that'll help? And we saw what happened in the College World Series last year there were a lot of black players there that played for the title. Do you think that, what do you think is going to help sort of increase that diversity? Um, I think Tim Anderson has been great for the game of baseball and for the city of Chicago. And I think what Tim brings to the table is super valuable, you know, really valuable. And, and but Tim is one of two African-American players in the city of Chicago, along with Jason Hayward. Right. And I would, I think, and you guys know this, baseball is a huge part of black history. Yeah. You know, people like to talk about Jackie Robinson, but you have Willie Mays, one of the best baseball players in history. You have Hank Aaron, one of the greatest players in Major League history. Uh, you have the entire history of the Negro Leagues, mm -hmm. right? Some of the yep. greatest players to ever play the game are people that most baseball fans never even heard of, you know? So it's important to us in our community. And I think, because of the rise of showcases and you know baseball is the most expensive sport to play so yeah. that's that's affected that's affected how you know at the grassroots level you know it's not just hey you can sign up for your team your town team and those kids go and play in high school and hopefully go to college and college to, to probably the pros but you know it doesn't work like that anymore where you have aau and you have circuits and you have, you know, showcases and, and those things are expensive, man. Like I play baseball, like I know. And so, yeah, I think we're going to have to, uh, I think the way the game is brought along might have to change. I think the showcase circuit will always be a way you see the, the country's best stars, quote unquote, best stars. But I do think with initiatives like um, the Sox Ace program is great because that's gotten a lot of kids not only playing baseball in, in the city of Chicago, African-American kids, but it's also gotten a lot of kids in the college, you know, kids that might not even be able to have that experience or had that experience, but now they can go and they can find a scholarship somewhere. Like Ed Howard is a product of the Ace program. Right, that's a dude that played in Jackie Robinson West, and we cheered him on and cheered his team on. Okay. And I know 
And I had it when when he got drafted and I tweeted about it. You had people in my mentions talking about so ain't didn't he play for that team that cheated? I'm like, man, it's bigger than that. First of all, those kids didn't have anything to do with that. Right. Second of all, exactly. they, we we were so proud as a city of those kids, seeing those kids on that big stage and 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 winning the American title, or the United States title, and then even when they lost in the the, the final, to to see that kid, the shortstop of that team, stay in the city of Chicago that raised him, where he played. Baseball at Mount Carmel High School, one of the 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 proud sports high schools in this city. That's amazing. Like, and, and it's it's different than like D Rose because it's you know you knew D Rose was going to play for the Bulls. You don't know where Ed Howard's career is going to take him. Now we think he's going to be really good. He's a first round draft pick, but baseball it doesn't always work that way. And we could never we might never see him play for the Cubs, but we're hopeful. And it would be an amazing story if we did see it. You know, because that's that's just you don't get stories like that all the time. You know, and we don't get stories where we get to see, uh, especially African American kids playing baseball, and got to see him groomed by one team in town, <laughs> and get drafted by the other team in town. Like right. I, I think something. Some people were upset, like, oh man, the stocks could have drafted him and stayed in into the in the system, but. The fact I think both teams should be I think one the White Sox should be proud that they got a kid drafted that high, and they groomed him, come from a good family, and then the Cubs should be proud that they took a chance on that kid. Yep. And I took took a chance. So you take a chance on anybody you draft, but like that they said, you know what, this is the kid we want to build our franchise around in the future. I think that's amazing for Chicago baseball. You know that those two franchises help to raise Ed Howard. You know, if, if Ed Howard goes on to be a star, he'll be a star with the Chicago Cubs, but the White Sox have a lot to do with that. And I think jointly as a city, I know it's always Sox versus Cubs, but together that they should be really proud of, of what just happened a couple weeks ago. All right. That was Russell Dorsey of MLB.com. You can also hear him as a guest on 670 The Score, WSER in Chicago. And you can see him on TV. Be as a guest panelist on NBC Sports Chicago Sports Talk Live with David Kaplan, Lawrence Holmes, and Jason Golf. Uh, Russell, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the support, your support for this program, and also the other show that we're for, the Dean Davis Show. Thank you for your support on for uh, for those guys as well. Much continued success. Great job today, and let's do it again down the road. Okay. Sydney Lakina, I appreciate uh, you guys having me on as always. Like I, I appreciate what you guys do. I appreciate what Dean Davis does for the city like you guys you know I will always hold it down for y'all because I know y'all hold it down for me oh and, yeah uh, always we, we gotta support each other like um, oh yeah business where there's not a lot of us we have to we have to support each other oh, so yeah. I always appreciate y'all having me on gotta look out for each other have to yes. have all right to. Russ you know, take care Thanks, and uh, good luck and and keep up the great work okay be Thanks, safe man. see y'all soon see all right I hope to see you soon talk to you again soon all right, that was fun and successful as always. I can't believe he's only 25. It makes us feel kind of old. I know, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, look how much he's accomplished. And like, he's only 25. It's crazy. And he's only going to go up from here. It's, it's insane. Exactly, exactly. So, anybody's looking for inspiration uh, for coming up in this business, not just look, uh, look at us, of course, but take a look at Russell Dorsey. He's doing some big things. He's going to do greater things. Well, uh, I, I got a great idea, Lincoln. Let's just What's take that? a quick break. And we have Josh Fryman of WGN Sports coming up. 
uh, in our next segment. We're going to get to uh, uh, other sports as well as baseball with him. We got a lot to cover with him. So I want to take this break, take okay. this break, cool off a little bit. Yeah. We'll come on back. We have Josh Freiman of WGN Sports right here on Second City Sports Zoom style. I'm Cindy Brown along with Lakina McGee. Stay tuned. Welcome to Second City Sports, segment number two, Zoom style. Zoom style? <laughs> Along with Lakina McKee, I am Sydney Brown. And join us for this segment to discuss all things baseball, basketball, football, and everything else in between. We have a good friend uh, who I got a chance to meet last year doing my television debut, RIP to CLTV Sports Feed. It's Josh Freiman. He's a sports anchor reporter from WGN-TV. He does a great job. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I uh, love the, the Zoom style intro. It's, uh, it's good to be on with you guys. Yeah, we usually yeah. do a radio show from a studio, but just like everybody else, like you in, in this business, we had to adjust. So we just got to keep this train going. You know, you know, you I get understand. it. I get it. <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, Josh underscore Friedman is the uh, Twitter handle. Uh, Instagram and Facebook is, uh, I think, just Josh Friedman. So uh, F-R-Y-D-M-A-N there. And, uh, and yeah, uh, go ahead and uh, follow me on those platforms. And um, like, like Sid said, uh, CLTV Sports Feed, unfortunately, RIP. Um, that was the, uh, <laughs> the show so. that Jared and I had hosted for uh, four and a half years. We actually just would have had our five-year anniversary last week, which was uh, – you know, a little bittersweet, but we had a great run, and now we're doing uh, good things on WGN still. So that's uh, that's where you find us. Yeah. Just before we move on, I want to say I had the greatest intro ever. And just in case people forgot, for those of you just listening, only I'm wearing my very heavy glasses. I had, had the big glasses. He had to. He just so had to do it. I just want. I just wanted to point that out. No, oh my you can god! If you want, so I just just want to give people a reminder. So. <laughs> I'll take these off and go back to my professional mode now. <laughs> For our top story, let's get to baseball. Josh, a uh, 60 games uh, schedule is set. Opening day is June 20, not June, July 24th to 25th. It's a 60 game schedule. You have a uh, new rules in there with the universal DH and the relief pitcher rule with the uh, facing uh, three batters minimal. Uh, what's your initial thoughts? Are you happy that baseball's back? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy it's back, but I'm also disappointed in how we got here, right? The journey to get here was very frustrating, as most baseball fans would agree. You know, we could have had probably baseball starting, if not right now, next week. And right. to still have maybe close to 90 to 100 game season, which, yes, would be shortened. But I think a lot of baseball fans, considering everything going on, would have taken that. And baseball, I think, especially could have owned the summer. You know, now they're starting when the NBA is getting back, when the NHL is getting back. MLS, WNBA, all these other sports are going to be converging on each other. And July is going to be crazy for sports fans that have been stuck in their homes watching old games and, you know, basically the equivalent of ESPN Classic every day. I think it's going to be great for them to all get everything at once. But it could be a little overwhelming. And baseball, which has had a hard time having a national brand over the recent years and uh, trying to find more than just a local identity, I think really missed the mark, unfortunately, by having these squabbles between the union and the owners over money when obviously the unemployment rate is skyrocketing and there's so many economic concerns for the everyday uh, person. And they're looking at these millionaires and billionaires fighting over how to divvy up the pie instead of thinking, all right, what's the best way safely that we could have a season and worrying about the health and safety protocols. So that's still, I think, um, something that is going to hang over baseball's head, at least 
the commissioner was able to implement a 60-game season. But now we're seeing, guys, there, there are questions about how they're going to be able to get back on the field with new cases every day, it seems like, and what the protocols are going to be. I do feel like baseball is in a better position than the other sports because it's an outdoor sport. You can more easily, safely distance, socially distance on the fields, in the clubhouse, et cetera. So um, I am excited, but at the same time, it is disappointing because the 60-game season is going to be like nothing we've ever seen, and um, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Do you think Do you think they'll be able to finish the season? I mean, we have Russell Dorsey from MLB.com, you know, just a few minutes ago saying that he doesn't think they'll be able to finish the season. Do you, do you think they'll be able to finish it? it yeah, you know, look, and it's so tough to say because – we don't know where things are going to stand with, uh, and I, I assume meaning with the virus uh, right. as far as being mm-hmm. able to finish. Um, you know, there's all this talk over the fall having a second wave, and, and yeah. right now we're seeing the continuation of really the first wave. So we haven't even gotten to that point yet. And by no means am I a health expert, but um, I, I don't know uh, if baseball will be able to finish by the time we get to uh, September, October. That was a huge sticking point with the negotiations because the playoff prize money the pool money for the uh, revenues uh, with the tv rights is is where a large portion of this the money coming in this year because there's no fans that's um that's a big sticking point that was for the owners because they wanted to make sure that if that scenario came where september october rolled around and we saw another uptick in in um, coronavirus cases that they could finish the season and get that playoff money so um i'm hopeful and uh, and maybe you know we we'll see something where they finish the regular season and, you know, maybe they have the world series, maybe they have the playoffs in the world series in a bubble situation, like we're seeing with the other sports. And maybe they, they go to one city, they quarantine for two weeks, um, you know, with all the national league players that are in the playoffs and the American leaders in another city. And then, uh, and then they figure that out. But um, I think at this point, we really don't know if they're going to be able to get there. I think at this point, let's just get to the start, right? Before we even talk about the finish, let's see if we can get to the beginning of the season, how those first couple games and weeks, because these are still a large amount of people that are traveling every game, every week, you know, yes, they're doing it in their division. So the travel is cut down, but you know, Chicago to Pittsburgh, that's still a good flight. Um, You talk about, you know, with the White Sox uh, going to, to Cleveland and going to, to Minnesota, yeah, they're not long trips, but still, you, you gotta you gotta have a lot of people beyond just the players that are making these trips too. It's all the personnel and the staff and the and the trainers and so on and so forth. So um, let's get to the beginning before I think we can really focus on if the season will finish. Josh Freeman of WGN Sports joins us right here on Sega City Sports Zoom style. Josh, I want to ask you about the chances for our, both our Chicago teams to have a great season of the Cubs and the White Sox. Uh, me and Lakina have been dis- we have been discussing on this show today that uh, for for teams that are favored to uh, go to the World Series like the Dodgers and the Yankees to a lesser extent the Chicago Cubs, uh, the schedule may be in their favor because they're veteran uh, ball clubs. But on the other side, you have teams that could surprise the people like Arizona and the White Sox, uh, young teams like that. If they get on a hot streak, they can maybe surprise the people and maybe upset a couple of those favorite teams come playoff time. I wanted to ask you, what, uh, what chances do you get both our baseball teams to have good years? Well, I think the good thing about this format is any team you can make an argument for to get hot over 60 games and to make a run. And once you're in the playoffs, as we know with Major League Baseball, seeing wild card winners win the World Series, it is a sport once you get in that tournament. 
five game series, seven game series, you can you can win and and beat a better team, especially if you have good pitching. So that's my concern with the White Sox. Can the pitching get there? Because they are very talented, and I think it's telling. I was listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Only and Tim Kirchin, two of the more respected baseball writers you're, you're going to find out there. They both picked the White Sox as their American League sleeper, their surprise team. Both of them agreed, and they could have picked, obviously, a ton of different teams, but that's where they feel like the young team that maybe has nothing to lose because they've never been there before, that they can, they can reel off you know, a couple hot weeks and they can start believing they're in it. Because if you do that, if you start off 15-5, and five, all of a sudden – you only have 40 games left. That's basically like right. a late August to September sprint. And you're, you know, you can feel that energy, um, I think, reverberate within the clubhouse. And for a young team, that's all it could take. And what really helps the White Sox and the Cubs too, but I think more for the White Sox, is their division is terrible. Yes, you have the Twins and the Indians are, are good, but not what they were a couple of years ago. And then you have two of the probably four worst teams in all of baseball with the Royals and the Tigers. And so you're going to be playing those teams at a disproportionate amount than you would every other team in the league. And they get to play the other central division, which is an okay division. The Brewers, I think, are going to take a step back. The Cardinals are, are also middling. The Cubs are probably in that respect, too. And the Pirates are down, and the Reds could take a step up. Right. You don't have to play the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Rays or the Astros. All these teams that are not on the schedule, and, yes, they may play them six or seven times a year, but if you just take them out of the schedule, all of a sudden you're beating up on those teams that you should be. So I think it's very advantageous for both the White Sox and the Cubs, more so for the White Sox. But I think you can make an argument for either of those teams on the north side with the Cubs. They have that veteran leadership and that, I think, what that let's do this one more time um, type of rah-rah feeling, right? Let's, you know, right. Dave Ross is the manager. Let's, let's get this group together, maybe for the last run. And I think because of that and just having to go forth with that 60-game sprint, how many times have we heard in the last couple of years they need to be more urgent with the beginning of the season and play better in April and May and have every game count? Well, now it truly does. And so I think that urgency on the north side will help the Cubs. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna ask you, Josh, I mean, which, which, which team really – do either Chicago team, you know, have a chance to kind of win the division? Because like, you know, like we've been saying, you know, all show long, you know, it's, it's – you know, you got the condensed scheduling, you know, you're playing 60 games in 66 days. Does it benefit a veteran team like the Cubs? Will it benefit a younger team like the White Sox? Who do you think has, like, the, the biggest advantage? Yeah, I'm curious to see how that does play out because I think you can make an argument for both, right, going back to the White Sox, because they are a younger team, um, you know, they are probably better made to just, all you know, go get hot right away and continue on that run and – you know, have that feed off of, of itself. With, with an older team, with, with the Cubs, I think you could also say that that comes into play because um, they have been through a lot of different scenarios and, you know, they have been around each other. That core has been together. And so um, the one, I think, caveat with that is that David Ross is a new manager. And you look at teams that have a Joe Madden or a veteran leader who has been a manager, maybe with a new club, obviously with Madden going to the Angels, but Terry Francona for the Indians sticks out other guys who have been with uh, an organization or just been a manager for a while. I feel like they have an advantage over guys who are not only learning this for the first time, but learning it in an environment that's brand new. You know, what's the first, uh, first time we see a game that's close in the ninth inning, knowing the 10th inning is dramatically changed by having a runner on second base. How does that change the strategy of David Ross and Ricky Renteria on the South side? Um, how do they use their bullpen now? Because you don't really have to worry about a, a game going deep into extra innings, but, you also have to worry about the three batter minimum rule. So there's all these things that are now 
also on top of the shortened schedule being thrown to these managers. So I feel like the veteran managers actually are at an advantage here. So that could be something that we uh, watch a little bit more closely when it comes to David Ross and how he's learning on the job. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we asked Rick Hahn yesterday, is this a legitimate season? And he's like, absolutely. It's a legitimate season, right? Like there will be a champion that's crowned. I think the records and if a guy hits 400, for instance, that's going to have an asterisk because obviously, you know, those type of mm -hmm. records, they're not comparable with doing it over 162 games or 154 games back when Ted Williams did it in 1941. But I think once you get the five teams in each league in the playoffs, that's going to feel like a normal playoff situation. And then they're, you're going to get a World Series winner that, yes, it's going to be an odd season, but they're still going to celebrate a World Series like they would have if they won the 2019 World Series. Josh, let's switch over to the National Football League. Of course, we learned that the Hall of Fame game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys has been canceled uh, due to the pandemic. Of course, training camp is now exactly one month away as of this recording. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, do, uh, of course, there's been guidelines of, of trying to practice social distancing with the players and, and the rest of the coaching staff. I want to ask you a two-part question. One, do you think that the entire preseason should and will be canceled by the National Football League? And number two, do you think there'll be fans in the stands when the season starts in September? So I would say on the second question, I would think that the NFL would try its hardest to have fans. And I think there will be some fans, but not at all close to capacity. I think you're starting to see, even in Illinois here, right, phase mm -hmm. four allows for a 20% mm -hmm. capacity. And we don't know what that looks like quite yet because there's still a, a cap of 50 people. But the mayor has said they've left it, you know, a little bit open to see where the caseloads go to actually have 20%. And Crane Kenny of the Cubs said on the radio the other day as well that they anticipate having fans in Wrigley Field perhaps up to 8,000 people, which would be 20% roughly of Wrigley's capacity. So if baseball is starting to think about that, football to me, I think, is, is going to be the league that tries the hardest to A, have a season, and B, have fans there because it's the engine that continues, right? It is the behemoth yeah. that um, is such a capitalistic and, you know, money-grabbing, conglomerate they're, they're thinking solely on the dollars and that means you have to have the games because you have the revenue from the, the not only the the television contracts but you have the gambling revenues and and all the sponsorships as well but then you have fans as well so i think i really think the nfl is going to try the hardest to have fans and, and again because most of the stadiums are outdoors you have a little bit of an advantage there for the stadiums that are indoors that could be interesting to see how how that plays out if there's different restrictions for a ford field for instance um, versus a soldier field, which is obviously an outdoor stadium. So um, the one thing with the NFL that's interesting, and going to your second point about the preseason, you know, back when everything was starting in March and April and May with the pandemic, you know, the NBA was the first one to start to stop its season. Then all the other leagues, uh, leagues obviously fell into place. What the NFL had in its advantage was that it just ended its season. It had the longest time period until it had to even think about these questions, right? Well, now that time period is obviously much shorter, right? We are mm -hmm. about a month yeah. away from training camp. So you're really starting to have these questions now become much more pressing. How do we implement safety and social distance protocols in an NFL game or in a practice when you're right on top of another player? And, you, you know, are we going to have masks under masks, so to speak, right? You're going to have a, a face <laughs> yeah. mask that 
you have another mask. Like, these are all things that they're, they're trying to work out, but it's, it's up in the air. But I do think the NFL is going to try the hardest to make it work. And yes, the Hall of Fame game was canceled. That's also more of a spectacle, right? Because you have the whole right. Hall of Fame weekend and you mm-hmm. have the enshrinement ceremonies. And so on that surprised. I do think the preseason for – I think they're going to continue with preseason games, maybe without fans, or maybe they even do that as an experiment to see how it works with some fans. But I think the NFL is going to be the last one to say we're going to stop this season from happening. Yeah, do, do you think you'll be able to be roaming the sidelines or having it, do you have to probably have to change the way how you interview players this year? Yeah, media stuff is so crazy, right? Because we, we, we don't know yet. The media um, have not been told even about the upcoming baseball season or the, uh, the NBA bubble or the NHL bubble what that would look like from a media perspective. My guess is that traditional clubhouse access is, is going to be forbidden. And so we won't be able to go. And, you know, usually during a baseball game, say up to seven o'clock first pitch, media is allowed in the clubhouse at three 30 for about half an hour. And we can, mm-hmm. you know, go up with the players who want to talk and, you know, it's a great time for beat reporters to get, you know, uh, people one-on-one and for, for TV reporters, a little different because you have a camera and once the camera's on a guy, everybody kind of flocks to that guy. So it's a little tougher right. to do more mm-hmm. one-on-one stuff. But I think that is not going to happen right away. What I do think is, and what they do after those clubhouse interviews, is they bring the manager out um, to usually a separate room and have him at a desk, him you know, uh, speaking in a, in a microphone, and have the reporters either you know, seated like you see the, the White House press conferences, the same type of setup. And so I think that is much more likely to happen. And maybe they restrict it to one person per outlet. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe with the TV cameras, they share the feed. And so there's only one camera person there. And all the TV stations get to share the feed because it's the same video. Right. And the reporters are, are spread out in distance um, within the, the confines of that room. So I think that is possible. But I don't think going into locker rooms is going to happen anytime soon. Josh Freeman of WGN TV Sports Chicago joins us on Sega City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. As you mentioned, Josh, let's continue with the Chicago sports train. Uh, we have we have a few minutes left with you. Let's go to the Blackhawks quickly. Uh, they're in this tournament. Uh, I know the Chicago's in the running for the two hub cities, but the NHL looks like they're uh, at least on paper they're doing this right. They have all their Canadian teams in this tournament format you have the two New York teams and the Islanders and the Rangers in there of course you have the Chicago Blackhawks and the Boston Bruins I think all six of the original six teams are involved as well do you think that the NHL will can and will attract new fans uh, provided that the that the big market teams can advance in this tournament and once they get to the playoffs so I think they're going to attract new fans not necessarily again going back to the problem with all these sports are happening pretty much at once now right uh, you're going to run into late July the NHL season um, resuming when the NBA season resumes, baseball starts. You're going to have the training camps with the NFL. You're going to have MLS and WNBA and, you know, all these other sports. And all of a sudden, you know, the interest is going to be spread out. So I don't think necessarily there's going to be um, more fans. There might be, you know, the casual fan who would see what this hub tournament looks like and maybe be intrigued by, you know, a larger playoff field. But, I don't necessarily think like a person who's never watched hockey is going to all of a sudden be like, Oh, the NHL tournament's back. Do I watch that? Or do I watch the NBA game? Or do I watch the baseball game? You know, all of a sudden there's a multitude of choices now. Um, And I think one thing that could really come out of all of this though, if you're looking forward to how 
seasons are spaced out in the professional leagues, that could be a positive change. I think we will start to see that because looking ahead, the NHL is probably going to start next season, January 1st or right around the new year versus starting in October when you're competing with all the other sports, right? October is the hotbed for sports because you have the NFL and college football in full swing. Mm -hmm. You have the NBA is starting its season. You have baseball in playoff mode. Um, You have college basketball starting basically the next couple of weeks. So it's really a tough time to gather uh, a lot of attention from these other leagues. And so if the NHL starts later, where they have less competition at the beginning and especially in the summer, right? If they're going to then have their playoffs be instead of May and June, you push it back a couple months. And then you're talking about the summer when really baseball is the only league that's going on that you're competing with. And so I think that could actually be a a boon to a league like the NHL that needs a way to separate itself. And the NFL is always going to attract the most fans. And so if you're leaving really the fall to the NFL and college football, and letting the other leagues kind of work around that, I think that's going to help everybody because um, the other leagues are going to, I think are eventually going to see more eyeballs. But, you know, for, for me, I'm excited to see the Blackhawks play because I, I wrote them off. I know most fans probably did, Sid, you're a yeah. diehard, but it's tough, it's tough to say whether the Hawks are going to make a run in that limited time, right? So, yeah. you know, look, I, I, I've um, not paid attention to Blackhawks hockey in a few months because I just didn't think – you know, there was anything to, to think about uh, regarding this current roster, and then all of a sudden you're going to have another chance here. Um, and, and who knows? You know, they, they played well against Edmonton this year. So uh, do they have a good chance to win that series? I think so. Then maybe you play the Blues. And, and again, because there's been a layoff for all these teams, any type of momentum they've had previously, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Guys who have been banged up or healthier. So um, it's, a, it's a new lifeline for the Blackhawks. What if what do you think about the, what the bull situation is? Because we've seen, you know, Jim Bullen may be gone, but then you know, our Karnishevis <laughs> and Mark Eversley may may keep him. There are now reports saying. So, what do you think happens there? Yeah, it's um, <laughs> I you know I've I've spoken with Jim Bullen a number of times and been you know at practices, and he's a he's a good dude. I don't know if he's the best fit for a, a job like this. And I think when you when you finally, as the Reinsdorf family and decide to to clear out the you know institutional um uh, legacy i guess of these guys who have had jobs for years for really not the reasons beyond just that they've had jobs and not based on performance with john paxton and gar foreman and you, you've kind of cleared house and you've been able to uh to get past that hump to finally bring in some fresh faces i think once you do that you really have to give them total autonomy and the decision-making. And I'd just really be shocked if when our tourist Karnisavis and Mark Eversley look at this roster and look at the head coach and look at everything that has happened the last two years, if they say, yeah, we're going to give Jim, Jim Bowen another chance to be the guy. I think they're going to pick the guy they want. And they're in no rush now, which is why they've taken their time. And, and maybe that's a way to, you know, throw a little bit of a bone to Michael Reinsdorf and to Jerry and, and even John Paxson, who's still – a part of that front office that really do have Jim Boylan's back to say, all right, we're going to be patient about this, but I would really doubt if they're going to actually say, this is the guy that we're going to bring back because um, there's just, there's too many young players that haven't developed properly under him. Um, You know, you had to make some tough choices going forward because it's still a roster where who's the star, you know, Zach Levine is a great player for what he is. He's in, he, he totally took his game to a new level offensively and he improved defensively, but see a guy that, you build around or see a guy that you supplement for with another star 
Um, Larry Markin was supposed to be another guy that obviously did not pan out this season. What do you do with his future? You know, Kobe White really picked it up at the end of last year. But um, again, you know, where, where is the number one star? And if that, that happens, if you get lucky via the draft, or I think what's going to happen, hopefully, is because you're bringing in guys like Eversley and Carnisivis, which, which have great track records, uh, and more importantly, have relationships with players, especially Eversley, who comes from the Nike family and built his, his, uh, his whole reputation really on these personal relationships. I think that'll help attract people to Chicago that previously were looking at things and saying, I don't want to go play there because of, you know, whether it's the reputation of management or ownership or even just MJ's legacy here and following in that footsteps um, that still hangs over the city 20 years later. Um, I think we are going to see some change um, in how free agents do perceive the Bulls. And then hopefully that leads to attracting a marquee star to someone what the Nets did a couple years ago, right? When they, they got good enough to being like, all right, this could be a destination. And then you had everything else appeal to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And all of a sudden you have two of the top 15 players in the world. And yes, they didn't get to play together this year, but eventually they will. Last question for Josh Freeman from WGN TV Sports in Chicago, right here on Second City Sports Zoom style. Uh, we all know that sports is, uh, is coming back soon, but during the last few weeks, of course, we, uh, with the unfortunate uh, death of George Floyd, we've been seeing a whole lot of black athletes participating in peaceful protests, but we also have seen a lot of white athletes and non-black athletes protesting as well, trying to uh, come together to see uh, to see change. I, I wanted to get your thoughts quickly on that, uh, uh, about the uh, athletes and social activism. Yeah, you know, the last few weeks, uh, pretty much every interview I've done with an athlete, it's been about this, because this is what everyone is talking about, and rightfully so. You know, this is the movement that is long overdue, and, um, you know, athletes, we've seen it before, you know, you think back to you know, when uh, Michael Brown was, was killed in Ferguson in 2015 and the beginning of Black Lives Matter. And then even, you know, uh, Eric Garner and, and I Can't Breathe and the shirts that LeBron James and other players would wear. So this, is, this, this has happened in, in ways before, but not in the, the wave that we are seeing from not only athletes, but non-athletes and not only people of color, but, but white people too. And it's, it's happening now in a way that I think is magnified because of the virus and because a lot of people mm -hmm. are our home and they're not you know i've spoken with a number of athletes about this in particular cj sapong from the chicago fire is part of the newly formed uh, black players coalition for the mls was talking to him this week and you know he's, he's basically like this is this is not something that you know people can just bury under the rug because there's a game on or because there's a distraction most people are working from home most people are watching maybe a little bit more TV or watching the news more, and they're seeing these things with maybe a different lens than they would have if they're just going about their regular monotony. You know, everybody's routine has been totally flipped on its head, and so I think that's that's helping the movement and the cause as well. And you know, I spoke with Diamond the Shields of the WNBA, Chicago Sky. Um, spoke with Billy Garrett Jr., former DePaul star, who is uh, who was just playing in Greece overseas his grandfather bill garrett um first black player to play basketball in the big 10 1949 for indiana and they just finally indiana university um 
remove the name of their intramural center. It was the name of a, a former trustee who was a segregationist, and they renamed it the Bill Garrett Fieldhouse. And you know, I asked Billy, "Do you think that would have happened if not for this current movement?" And he's like, I, "I don't know. I can't. I can't be for for certain, but the." the the bigger picture is it happened, right? And now more people that are Indiana students that are walking across the campus will see my grandfather's name on the field house. Maybe they knew about him, maybe they didn't before, but now they're going to know more about his story. And all those kind of small bits of progress are all building up to something bigger. Because every one of the athletes I've, I've spoken with about this have said, this is something that is not going to be so sudden that you just flip a switch and everything is gone there's no racism doesn't work like that and it's going to be something that takes a long time but everyone remained hopeful and positive that this is the beginning of long-term change and you know i think athletes have that forum where they can really be a part of something and a lot of them said you know i know a bunch of athletes have said they're not going to go and play because they want to spend time on you know activism and, and social justice reforms but a lot of them feel like they can do that even greater during their platforms and CJ Sapong and the fire said, you know, they will be doing, then he didn't say exactly what it would be, but they're going to be doing stuff at the MLS tournament, whether it's, you know, kneeling or whether it's, um, you know, wearing um, something on their, on their shirts or their cleats, you know, there's so many ways that these athletes can now do it with the platform of these leagues restarting. And so we're going to see a lot more of that, I think in the next couple of weeks when the games begin and um, I'm all for it. It's great. All right, that was Josh Freiman of WGN-TV Sports Chicago. Check him out. You can follow him on social media. Josh, thank you very much for joining us today. And also, thank you for your support throughout the years on the Dean Davis Show. And also, shout out to your sports producer, Larry Harley, as well, for uh, su supporting us as well. So, you much continued success to you. And let's do this again down the road, okay? Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Stay safe. All right. And that was Josh Fryman of, of WGN-TV Chicago and giving us his thoughts about the, all the sports going around in the city and across the country. Lakina, I, I got to say, uh, I'll salute to you and to myself as well. A great show this week. Uh, two great guests uh, along with Russell Dorsey of MLB.com. MLB great perspectives today. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun, and it was great to talk to Russell again, of course. And mm -hmm. also, it was great to finally talk to Josh. I mean, I'm a big fan of his work. So, this, this is a fun show. So, got a little bit, got, got a little bit of time left. So, uh, let's talk about the NBA. We didn't get a chance to get into this deeply with uh, Josh. We weren't able, we didn't have the time. But mm -hmm. what do you think about some players? You know, um, 16 players out of like, I think like 320 something tests like came out earlier this morning that they tested positive for COVID. Uh, <clears throat> Avery Bradley's already said that he's not going to play, although there may be some mm -hmm. other things that might be keeping him from playing. I don't know because he, but uh, so yeah. So what what do you think about all this stuff that's that, that's transpired these last few days with the NBA? In terms of Avery Bradley and also Trevor Ariza of the Portland Trail Blazers as well, uh, he had, he set out uh, the time uh, for the month of July to spend some time with his son. He's trying to get custody of uh, things along that line. Right. So, with those cases like that, it goes beyond sports, so you right. cannot blame blame them for that. Anybody that does, you're not a human being. You don't know what you're talking about. Just go disappear somewhere. 
But <laughs> with, that, with that being said, with, uh, we know that Nikolai uh, Jokic, Jokic. Uh, of Denver, uh, he had the virus that he's recovering now as we speak. I don't know if you saw the picture on social media from the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Again, he's lost some weight, I'm sure, yeah. it was due to that virus now. And so uh, we'll, we'll see if it, if it affects Denver once they get down to the bubble in a couple of weeks in Florida. So I, I know I heard some people over the last couple of days say that is best for the for the players to catch the virus now because they won't be as uh, affected hopefully once they get down to the bowl but my worry is this uh you can control things for so long the coronavirus will i'm sure will seep into that bubble how much it will seep into it i don't know but heaven forbid and i do mean heaven forbid if lebron james catches it if Giannis Antetokounmpo catches it we always saw that kevin durant caught it in the beginning of the day he didn't even play this year so that lets you know it, uh, the virus is not discriminatory towards anybody. So let's just say if the Lakers go all the way to the NBA Finals and Anthony Davis has it or LeBron James, as I mentioned, has it, and they had to be quarantined for 10 days or 14 days for two weeks, uh, that could uh, derail the, the Lakers season right right there. We talked about it in baseball. Again, we talked about it in our baseball segment. You can have a team like Philadelphia who – most people uh, threw off the bender once Ben Simmons got hurt. You have a team like that or a team like Portland win the whole thing. Um, heaven forbid uh, your superstar players or a quarter of your roster catch the coronavirus. There's no good time to catch a virus, but let's just say you're a team that's deep into the playoffs and, and a couple of your superstar players or a quarter of your team catches the virus, it could alter the playoffs right there and have an, a, a surprise team uh, catch up and perhaps win the title. Yeah, I think about Jokic because he was in Serbia, his native Serbia, and he actually, apparently, mm -hmm. he, I guess he caught it from Novak Djokovic, who's the, one of the top tennis players in the world. Him, him and his wife, they got it. They got it from another tennis player. So there was, apparently, I guess, in Serbia, there wasn't a lot of restrictions. They didn't have, like, like social distancing and such. So I think that might have had a lot to do with it there. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because I, I feel like maybe <sighs> – I don't know. I mean, I know there's some people that are, are calling for maybe for sports to be canceled for the fall, but at the same time, like we've been saying, money is the root of all this, and you got to yeah. have some type of sporting coming on. People need something to kind of detract them from what's been going on. So, and, and as I've been saying, you know, you, you hope that your top-tier players don't get the disease. That's for, that goes for all sports. Yeah. So, look, this is going to be very interesting. I can see why some players – you know, the, the reason, Trevor reason, I can understand that because, you know, this is like, you know, beyond sports. This is like court stuff that, you know, listen, he, you know, you can't reschedule that because the courts are closed right now. So right. They, they're just now starting to open up in some states. So, but I, I feel like maybe if I, for like the Kyrie Irvings and guys like that, you'll wonder like, okay, are you just doing this because you don't think your team may have a chance to advance in this format? So I don't know. This is going to be very interesting. Yeah, it is going to be very interesting. In terms of Kyrie, we said in our, on our last podcast uh, episode that Kyrie Irving had some personal things with LeBron James. And, of course, he was mad because uh, injured players cannot go, cannot go down there to support their teammates uh, because the NBA is restricting uh, access uh, uh, amount of people of, uh, per team. So uh, you go figure with that one. But like you said, Lakini, it's going to be interesting what the NBA does once that bubble gets started, let's heaven forbid. Now, do me heaven forbid if an entire team catches uh, the virus. You can't really push things too far back because we all know that the NBA plans to start next season in December 
December 1st, December 5th, or what have you. And so in these arenas that these teams are playing, assume they go back to these, these arenas without 99.9% sure that they are, those arenas that they play in, they have other scheduled events, other teams. Like here in Chicago, you have the Blackhawks that play in there. You have a couple of basketball, uh, college basketball tournaments that take place there. You have business conventions. You have concerts there. So these other uh, events that is held in those multi-event arenas, they cannot be re rescheduled too much. So uh, the NBA is really taking its chances. So oh, if you're the NBA, hopefully that this virus does not spread too far because you know, if if half the team gets or heaven forbid the entire team gets it, it can really derail things and they really have to shut things down, which I know they don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, look at Buddy Heald and Jabari Parker from the Kings. Mm -hmm. They've tested, I think, a couple other players too in the King on the Kings tested positive. So, yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be interesting, said because this is uncharted territory for like for all the sports, and. I wonder, like like you said, what's it going to take? What's going to be, like, the breaking point? Will it be half a team or a whole team? Like you said, will it be, like, a top-tier guy like LeBron or Giannis or Harden, you know, any of them get it? Or will it be, like, a coach or something? Because remember, like we said a few weeks ago, Adam Silver wanted to put that provisioner to have, like, the, some of the older coaches sit out. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, Pop and some of the other older coaches said no, no way, and he kind of had to backtrack that. So I don't know what's it gonna what's it gonna be. So hopefully we don't see any snafus. Yeah, hopefully we don't, and hopefully we'll see all of the athletes healthy and safe, in which they can perform their jobs in a safe and healthy environment. Before we go, Lakina, since we have a couple of minutes left, like you said, I wanted to ask you about the NFL preseason. We did ask uh -huh. Josh Fryman from WGN about this. I think he said that I think he may be on to something that uh, if they if assuming that things take turn for the worse, we hope not. But if they do, at least if you in a preseason for the NFL, you could try having the games without fans because l l let's be honest here. I I don't know how how long how, how long and how much you can practice social distancing, like we said, because they're on top of each other. Yeah, you know they're in huddles all the time. So and once the ball is is hiked, uh, well, this ball is snapped rather. Uh, you making contact every single second till the play is stopped. So I don't know how much you can prevent that. It, we all know that football is a violent game. Now I'm uh, I won't be shocked if the preseason is canceled, but they can try it without fans because let's be honest here, like in a, in a normal situation many fans don't show up anyway because these teams, this is how the owners make their money from the preseason. They charge full ticket prices for fans to show up. And let's be honest here, many of your big-time players that you come and see, they don't play these games anyway. Well, and also, I think I saw somewhere, I, don't, I, forgot, who, I forgot who it was, but they said they're, they're going to they're use, like, cardboard cutouts of – of you know, fans to have them in the stands so that they can at least have them in the stands. I I actually brought up the idea of having maybe like having tablets with like fans like Zoom things like this, you know, so that people yeah. could be right there, like that like they did with the draft, you know, with they had all those fans, mm -hmm. you know, behind Goodell. <laughs> so uh, I wonder what they're gonna do. I, you know, Joe Buck kind of like let the guys spill some tea, saying that their networks are probably thinking about at least like, out of all those, at least Fox is thinking about maybe pumping in some noise. So. Again, like I said, this is going to be tough for the NFL. I know that they want to go, like, they, they, I think they, the owners just had a meeting yesterday. They said they wanted, they're going to go as scheduled, but okay, you've already canceled the Hall of Fame game and Hall of Fame weekend. 
are you gonna have to shorten the preseason or you're just gonna have to cancel it entirely so I don't, I don't know I think like things I think everyone's playing this stuff by ear I think if anything should happen to the preseason <clears throat> excuse me if anything should happen to the preseason I think they'll cut it from four to two and I know with many teams uh you have important battle uh position battles on your roster, i.e. here in Chicago with the Bears, i.e. the quarterback situation. There's so much you can only do in camp because you're practicing against each other, you know, against your teammates. Since the inner squad practices are canceled for this year, uh, you need at least a couple of preseason games should changes happen to the preseason schedule for this year. At least I think if you have any changes to the preseason, I think they'll cut it down from four to two. You need those players to at least try to have some action against other players because we all know that fights and agitation break out in training camps every year because they're going against each other. If you cancel the preseason entirely, uh, I I think it's going to be a mess. We all will know why, but it's, it's going to be a mess. You don't have a true competition battle for these important positions. And number two, your increase for injury goes up that much more. Even though they have restrictions due to this current CBL, how can they? How long can they practice? And how can they practice? It's not like it was back when we were growing up, where they had full pad practices and they were out there quote unquote killing each other. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see, like you know, how like because it's a contact sport, you're, you're going through like the contact, but are we gonna have to like? Are you gonna have to like maybe like you know spray the players in vinegar <laughs> each time, <laughs> each time. I mean, like, are you going to spray, like, the refs and then the, the officiating crew with vinegar or, like, disinfectant so that, you know, you don't have to worry about the spread? Are you going to have to spread everybody out? So, I mean, this is going to get interesting, Sid. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen here, but, like I said, this is going to be very interesting. It is going to be interesting. Like I think the NFL, like you said, they just have to play it by ear. I, I, I know certain things that you can try to get ahead of the curve, but like like Josh said and, and like Russell said in our last segment, uh, we don't know everything about this virus. So you you know most people be covered, but what's the long term effects? We just don't know. Is a second wave coming? We don't know. And if it does, how strong is it? How weak will it be? We just don't know, which is all learning by this day by day. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how this goes because, you know, we'll be talking about this. You know, hopefully we'll have some more people, you know, talking NFL and particularly Bears. We'll see, you know, what they think because we've had people say pretty much the same thing. You know, Josh just said earlier that they don't – they doubt that it's going to be like, you know, players actually going to have like – players are going to have like, so in media rooms, you know, that the, the media mm-hmm. people will be allowed there – you know, they may just do like they've been doing. They may do Zoom meetings. You know, maybe have like this like a mic stand. That's I've seen. You know, they have like I know kind of they, I know NASCAR does it. So, you know, keeping their reporters and then the drivers away. So we may see that. So, it, like I said, this is a whole new world, and we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, it's great that sports are happening, but with the rise of COVID in a lot of these states, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But we just hopefully, you know. Things play off towards uh, the up and up, and hopefully things uh, uh, will look up soon. But like we said before, we have to be patient. Things take time, and hopefully things will be trending up upward in the days and the weeks to come. All right. So anything else you want to talk about, Sid? We still got a few minutes. <laughs> uh, real quick, NASCAR, we really didn't touch on this with our guests. Um, 
Bubba Wallace, um, it, uh, it was found by his crew that, uh, that a rope that looked like a noose. It turned out it wasn't true, but I'll be honest here, Lakina, I know I saw some stuff on social media, media and I heard uh, certain pundits on the Sports Talk Radio this past week saying that uh, um, they, they may think that uh, NASCAR was putting his own as a hoax. Uh, we, all, we both know Lakina as African-Americans. We all know what a noose looks like. Yeah. If that person said it was a noose, it was a noose, okay? And whether, whether it's actually a noose or not, uh, it still shouldn't have happened. And I don't know if you saw that uh, interview with Scott Van Pelt uh, when it broke on Sunday with Marty Smith. He was generally upset. I know you. Oh, yeah, I saw. Yeah, I story, saw. But you could, uh, you could tell he was generally upset. And, and that was my feeling, too. But was I surprised that that happened? No. Was I upset just like everybody else who's a human being? Yes. But I, I'm not surprised because when you have change that's going towards the direction you have everybody coming together, you're always going to have that small group of people that try to be the allowed majority that goes against it for whatever reason. I don't know if you saw the the, the sign that was flying overhead uh, uh, last Sunday, even though the race was canceled due to weather, defund NASCAR. I was shaking my head. I said, I wasn't surprised by that at all. First of all, NASCAR is not going anywhere. Just like the four major sports, they make a ton of money. They're not going anywhere. You you can have your right to disagree, but just seeing that, that really didn't surprise me. Well, and I think people want to compare this to the Jesse Smollett thing that happened last fall, but let's remember, he didn't see it. Apparently, one a person, somebody in his crew saw it, and oh, yes. that, and they went to the you know the top and the door, top door to NASCAR, and NASCAR's president actually reached out to him. So for anybody that say, "Oh, this is just a smaller thing," no, 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 that's not the case. Learn about the story, and look, that that was a noose. I'm gonna say it. I said to people yesterday, mm-hmm. that was a noose. We listen as African Americans. You said, Sydney, we know what a noose looks like, and that's mm-hmm. so you're telling me that. Nobody noticed it until now. It's just a coincidence that it's right by the garage of like the only NASCAR, African-American NASCAR driver in the Cup Series. Exactly. But you know what? Some good came out of this. He had that great moment with him and some of the top, some of the drivers also, including his owner, Richard Petty, who was 83, who actually had stayed, because, you, know, you know, he's at the higher risk, has stayed mm-hmm. away from any of the tracks. So he had a nice moment with him. They he had his arm around him so as he was getting out the car and also some of the other drivers. His his best friend, Greg Blaney, actually ended up winning the race at Talladega and Bubba had his best finish at 15. So it actually ended up, you know, it didn't start off well, but it actually ended well all around. Yeah, and like I said, even though that Bubba didn't win the race, win the race I know he was, he was uh, at third place at one point uh, this past Monday, but uh, hopefully NASCAR will stay unified, enforce their policies, and help African American drivers uh, uh, and future drivers that want to join this sport uh, help them along in, in, in inclusion and things like that. Just hopefully, this was a big moment for NASCAR. They did pass the test for the moment, but I want to see what they do going forward. Just like all these other companies, they put out statements following the, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, you say if you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Yes, things take time, as we keep saying on the show, but we want to see action behind those words as well. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so every, everything, you know, like, like we've been saying, hopefully NASCAR will lead, this will lead, you'll know, keep going in the right direction because you think about what Wendell Scott did. If you haven't 
heard about or know about the history of him. You know, fortunately, he won a race, and I forgot I think it was in I think it was in Charlotte. But you know, you could ask his sons about it. His sons on one, two of his sons, both of them, I think the oldest on Twitter, and he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't accept it. He couldn't accept the prize money. He accepted the prize money, but he couldn't accept the trophy. So, and then mm-hmm. he had to wait. And unfortunately, like now, when he got to the Hall of Fame, they finally you know, recognize him as the winner of that particular race. So, hey, listen, NASCAR has come a long way since, you know, L. Duck, ESPN's L. Duckin shared a story about, you know, her dad is, you know, he's a big NASCAR fan and he doesn't feel welcome at races. So hopefully that'll change for him and for mm-hmm. other African-American drivers who go to those races. So, like I said, NASCAR, listen, I think NASCAR has done some good things and made some big steps, but they still got a ways to go like everybody else. Yes, yes, they do. Hopefully it, it'll trend up in a more positive upward beat uh, direction. All right, so before we wrap, a couple of shout-outs. Shout-out to Liverpool for winning the English Premier League for the first time in 30 years, which is hard to believe. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're a big soccer fan. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, this is like they were celebrating in Liverpool like it was 1990 because, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, look, they um Chelsea beat Man City, and that clinched it. It was really a matter of time. They had dom- Liverpool already like dominated, you know, since I guess since like right before the holidays, they were able to pull away. Man City had like a little bit of a chance, but they had to win against Chelsea to stay alive. But they didn't. They lost two to one. You know, Jurgen Jurgen Klopp, who was the manager there, you get to see the tears. He he tried to hold back tears, he just couldn't do it. And you know, some of the other players, Jordan Henderson. Muhammad Salah, they were all there, you know, watching the match. So yeah, it was a nice, it was nice to see. And they actually have, they actually have won like every big European tournament except for the Premier League the last 30 years. They just won the Champions League last year. So this is a big thing for Liverpool. We'll see if this starts a dynasty for them. All right. And anything else you wanted to talk about, Sid? Uh, um, just uh, one more again, as the kids would say, spoken <laughs> English. <laughs> but once again, we like to thank Russell Dorsey of MLB.com. You can check him out on 670 The Score as a guest on, on the Lawrence Holmes Show and other shows on that station as well. You can see him on NBC Sports Chicago's uh, Sports Talk Live with David Kaplan, Lawrence Holmes, as I mentioned before, and Jason Dover, among others. And Josh Fryman, you can watch him on WGN TV here in Chicago. He's a sports reporter and anchor. Uh, thanks for to both those gentlemen come uh, for coming on uh, this week's podcast, and also sharing their opinions of what's been going on in the world of sports. You know, we'll yes, like we would say, we'll see what happens with all with all the stuff still still going on and it's on the rise again. So we'll see if we can get back to some type of normalcy. You know, sports are back, but again, sort of we'll see. <laughs> yes. All right, you follow me at Kina McGee on Twitter at Kina underscore underscore McGee on the Insta. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-A-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-A-0, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can read all of my articles at weareregalradio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L-A-L radio.com. That's the first time <laughs> I'm out full. Of that. It's a mouthful. I was wondering yes, why I was waiting for you yes, to. Uh... <laughs> it, it probably happened. So go to <laughs> weareregalradio.com for all of, of my articles and other articles from our great writers as well and you can listen to the dean davis show which is the crew that i'm a part of both dean davis show and dean davis the flip uh part of the war on anchor network which kicks you over to spotify and all your 
uh, podcast platforms. Search for War on Anchor. You can listen to In the Scope with our guy, Josh Chase. Hopefully, we can get him on this program soon, and along with our program, Second City Sports, and, of course, Dean Davis, the sports show, and Dean Davis, the flip. All right. So next weekend's the 4th of July. I know a lot of people probably may not have some big plans. They may not. We'll see. I know we're in phase four, but guys, remember, keep your mask. Make sure you put on your mask. I'm just saying. And wash your hands. And also fireworks. I mean, I don't know about you, Sid, but I know in my neighborhood, you know, the fireworks are <laughs> going off for like the last month. Like, okay. Uh, I heard them too. So uh, if you don't know what you're doing, and for those of you that are listening in Chicago and the state of Illinois, please don't mess with them because, first of all, it's illegal to have fireworks. And number two, you're going to chop off your fingers if you don't know what you're doing. Just saying. Look up at Jason Pierre Paul a few years back. Yes. Just say it. Look that up. So, on that note, uh, for Sid, I'm Lakina. This has been Second City Sports Zoom style. And hopefully, Jason Pfeiffer will be back with us you know, in a little bit. Like I said, he's been you know, working hard. So, mm-hmm. hopefully, we'll have him back on and we'll. We'll be back, you know, with some great convos and some great guests, too. So see you next week. See you next time. Holla!